0: Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I right, got a little night-before-Christmas type of feel today. Only a couple of small trades. So, we can't catch up on news and you talked some about Wednesday night's games. But let's first get into the two trades that did occur. We've kind of seen this pattern in a few years recently where Tuesday actually gets some big moves. You get some other big moves in the days before the deadline. Then Wednesday, all the moves that are going to happen Thursday, the teams are still trying to haggle those out. So, what we got here, Danny?
1: We'll start with the more consequential one. And it's a three team trade. San Antonio involved in their second in season. Season trade in the same season that hasn't happened in a long time but the principal team here for me is the utah jazz the jazz sending out joe ingles sending out elijah hughes and two second round picks one to each of the other teams involved receiving nikhil alexander walker and juancho hernan gomez the san antonio spurs are sending out hernan gomez bringing back sataransky and getting that utah 2027 second for their troubles then the blazers sending out alexander walker and sataransky who they acquired Acquired in the CJ McCollum deal. And then receiving Joe Ingalls, who was of course hurt, Elijah Hughes, and Memphis's 2022 second. For me, the reason why the Jazz is the place to start is A, they traded the largest player of consequence, but also what they did in this deal. So they Joe Ingalls was the most logical, though far from their only vessel to upgrade talent wise and so the idea of ingles plus maybe some matching salary and plus like a first or something to get a a real difference maker and instead ingles salary they used it to bring in Hernan gomez and nikhil alexander walker which is a pragmatic move because it saves them some tax and you know there's some potential upside there but also not the big swing that would have been more exciting
0: so i didn't want to interrupt you for once but uh, I actually held back. But I do actually, I'm not sure that this is the most consequential deal of the day. We'll, we'll get to why that is when we talk about the Heat-Thunder trade. But Sure, sure, sure. I, I think the biggest takeaway of this is Utah will not be making a major. this Right. That, and Postles, that's why I think it's yeah. more
1: consequential than the other one. Yeah.
0: And whether that's because the price for those guys was too high, you know, a Jeremy Grant type or a Harrison Barnes. Also, pretty much any one of those moves would have required Utah to take on money. rather than as they do here shed it but it seems like for whatever reason they came to the conclusion that joe ingles plus whatever assets they could throw in 2026 2028 maybe they would have had to amend the protection on 2026 or or 2024 to make that 2026 pick look juicier like it was uh, in the mock trade deadline to try to go after someone like jeremy grant harrison barnes no longer available it seems like for the kings maybe that could have been a target of theirs But we end up with their, uh, maybe they'll get someone on the buyout market, but they're not going to get a premium player who's really going to improve their defense this year. And the financial implications, you mentioned that before this, the Jazz were $14.7 million dollars. Over the tax, which resulted in a $27.9 million tax payment by shedding $4.3 million in salary. They are now just $10.4 million over the tax and a $17.2 million payment. So they saved themselves about 10 million in tax payments and probably about 1.5 million or so in salary given where how far through the year we are so that's not insignificant savings for an organization like this and a lot of people are okay what is the point of this for the jazz i mean that memphis 2022 second is going to be in the after 50 that's not really worth very much it's really around 45 it starts to get pretty dicey just if you look at the history and then Nikhil alexander walker is someone who would i I give up two seconds for him, one of which I knew was pretty worthless. Yeah, okay. I think I think I feel alright about that. Now, you and I, of course, are much higher on Alexander Walker, at least we, were. That, I, is, I, that is
1: more about yeah. what Alexander Walker could be than the player he has been this year, to be abundantly clear.
0: No, I, and, and even then, I think all of the excitement we had for him in summer league just never really evolved. He just has been so inefficient over the course of his career. and hasn't been the defensive contributor that we hoped either, but I think he still has something you know now worth noting that they are taking on his money for next year as well right maybe that's what Portland wanted to get off of here because Portland this is pretty much just a dump it looks like and maybe they have some interest in Elijah Hughes but and maybe they could even like Elijah Hughes better than Alexander Walker who knows there are guys at this level who haven't really played much haven't produced much it's a lot of it is eye of the beholder type of stuff so yeah Alexander Walker is actually due five million dollars for next year so Utah is actually taking on money for next year in this deal Hernan Gomez has a non-guarantee which uh, seems very unlikely to the exercise at 7.5 million particularly given his guarantee date before july 1st although they could always move that back so from utah's perspective i mean this is basically they're saving the money sure you know saving four million dollars in season is and then much more than that in cash of course is you know that's something that you have to do that's difficult i mean you're probably just to get off a of four million dollars in salary with nothing else you know if they're just two guys who weren't playing that'll probably cost you at least one second so think of it as they're giving up a second to get alexander walker i mean that's just based on their evaluation of Nikhil alexander walker and also whether he's worth five million next year and also given their tax situation is there an opportunity cost of are they maybe not going to use the full taxpayer mid-level next year as well because they have alexander walker they could always stretch him if they needed to or move him who knows but i think That's fine. I think this is totally fine for Utah. It's just a disappointment that they're not going to be able to do more. But assuming that that was correct, that they just weren't willing to pay the price or couldn't pay the price for anyone who would have really made a difference for them in their playoff rotation this year, I got no problems with this deal.
1: I find the bet for the Jazz on Alexander Walker fascinating because... A player who has significant physical talent, but hasn't really delivered on it. Those are the types of players that I like to see organizations that can simplify things and have a strong structure go after. This is a, to me, a clear second draft opportunity for him and a part of that story is that it now becomes pretty clear that New Orleans was not thinking highly of Alexander Walker either because we know the blazers didn't want it like they 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 got they gave him up right. for nothing and so thus it wasn't like they were they were treating him as real positive value in the trade and you can kind of toss everything together I can't remember exactly how the salary matching and all of that worked in that deal but
0: New well, Orleans. I mean, was New Orleans things. took back way more. Exactly. So it, may, it may have, but I don't think they actually technically needed Alexander. Well, because of the fact that New Orleans had this big trade exception, I'm not sure that they actually needed Alexander Walker. Yeah, but in the they deal, could have, they could have been
1: very disinterested in paying him five million dollars for next year, considering how close no. they are to the 22, 23 no. cap. I mean, the, yeah,
0: that's exactly what it is. And then also they have CJ, so they just didn't feel like they needed sure. him anymore. So yeah. So for the Blazers' standpoint, they opened. Open up another five million in cap space now i now project them to have 20.4 million dollars in space assuming they retain josh hart and the cap hold of Anthony simons that does not include anything for use of nurkic however and also assumes that they're going to have two lottery picks as well also projects that they would waive eric eric bloodstone that so that that's my best projections so that's that's a big difference there actually dan that's you know to get from 16 to 20 million now you can always stretch guys you always could have done some things to open that up if you had a great option to get but I mean it seems like they would rather have just I mean this Memphis second I don't think that played a huge role in this no um and you know we'll see maybe there'll be some reporting on cash one way or another but that doesn't really concern us that much as far as what's on the floor so it just seems like this is just these two teams had a different evaluation of Nikhil Alexander-Walker and I that's fine with me you know that's I, I think reasonable minds could disagree on Nikhil Alexander you can't disagree on what he's been so far which is bad but you can disagree on his ability to improve
1: from San Antonio's part they took on an extra three million in full season salary significantly less than that over the course of the remaining part of the season in exchange for a pretty distant future second which isn't that good I, I my instinct is that Sam Presti would have charged more for th- for three million even though hilariously OKC has much more of a need because because of the the salary for like need is a strong word but like to capacity i guess would be a better way to put it yeah. but
0: i mean that's going to be that's one of the most fascinating subplots that there is for tomorrow of just what ends up happening with that space uh, that they have. I mean, 20 million to get to the salary floor and you know, 34 million, I guess, in cap space still. So yeah, that's who ends up, who the highest bidder is for that and what price they're able to extend, you know, cause it's going to be all about external leverage, right. On driving up the price there because opposing teams know that they don't really, that it really behooves them to take on that money. Now, of course, whether that money extends into next year is another question and what they can get for that. They've got Gilgis Alexander kicking in next year. So they actually, their finances for next year are not really as uh, unencumbered as oh, they yeah, are they're, I I mean, I
1: project degree. them to be over the cap next year, even before right. the, the deadline moves. They also have a bunch of picks coming in and, and other things. And a couple other notable ripple effects from this deal, the Utah Jazz create a trade exception just under 10 million, 9.8. Potentially they could use that. I don't think they're gonna use that at this deadline, but potentially they could use that during the offseason as kind of like a pseudo mid-level, you not necessarily the whole amount, but they could claim somebody off waivers or they could do a deal if they liked somebody for that better than the the portion of the taxpayer that they want to use. It's just it's another team-building tool that they have. And then the other one is by trading Joe Ingalls. It does make it significantly harder for the Jazz to bring him back at anything above the minimum, not only for next year but after that. Because one of the things, I one of the theories that I had thought about, and Ingles is an older gentleman, of course, but the idea that they could retain him if they kept his rights, retained him on a minimum contract, and then if let's say his recovery went super well, then they could have had full bird rights and gone above that. It's similar to the idea that I think the Heat are doing with Victor Oladipo, but Ingles, of yeah. course, has a, has a lot more experience with the Jazz. That is. Now completely off the table. They do not have his bird rights anymore. And so they could bring him back for the minimum, but it wouldn't be with the ability to do any more than the standard non-bird, all that fun stuff.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see whether Ingalls gets waived or not in Portland after the deadline. I guess he could, in theory, still be rerouted as well, but uh because Portland might be interested in taking on some salary for next year and maybe picking up a, a pick or something like that. But assuming that doesn't happen, would they be interested in his bird rights? It seems kind of unlikely. And then Ceteranski and San Antonio, I mean, God. he's been so bad this year i mean one of the most inexplicable drop-offs and he's had some pretty inconsistent years but i mean maybe the spurs could possibly rehab him i say that and you know he's gonna get bought out within four days probably and prove that wrong but you know they, they they have a Maybe a use for another point guard who has some size, and they don't really care that he doesn't shoot that many three. So maybe he can improve there. Let's get to this next one here. What happened?
1: The original reporting was that the Thunder were giving up a 2026 20, second round pick for Casey Akpala on the Miami Heat, and that seemed weird enough. And as as John Hollinger noted, he's like, "This is missing top 55 protected and cash." Basically, the idea that Miami, because they they get some real breathing room away from the the luxury tax and I guess to a lesser extent the hard cap. Those so it was like okay, well, that's weird, but then we found out what Oklahoma City really got in the deal, and it's far, far more interesting. And so, the, to walk people through it, this is a pick that Miami actually sent out previously that was sent to the Clippers in 2019, and then the Clippers traded yeah. it to, to Oklahoma that was City. to
0: dump Mo Harkless to dump Mo Harkless to facilitate the Butler sign and trade under the hard cap after they had already traded away Hassan Whiteside to get Hart.
1: and then it was included in in the Paul George trade days later and what happened was the trade the original terms of that pick were the heat sending it to team x in eventually oklahoma city if it was Outside of the lottery in 2023, and then if it if the heater and if the heater in the lottery, then 24, then 25, then 26, and then unprotected, sorry, in 26. The what this trade did is Miami amended that protection. And so now the 23 and 24 components of that deal aren't don't exist anymore. And then instead, what it is is it is a lottery protected pick for 2025 and an unprotected pick in 2026. There are benefits to each side in this transaction which is a part of why it's so fascinating. So for Miami, this... Opens things up regarding the Stepien Rule because the Stepien Rule is that you're not allowed to be without a first-round pick in consecutive years. Now, since the pick cannot convey before 2025, the Heat could trade their 22 first. They could trade their 23 first. They just can't do both, at least not you know, the timing on yeah. that.
0: At and the draft, they could actually trade do both. both of them, exactly. which, which could be, interesting, it could be or, interesting or right after the
1: draft. You know, They, they don't have a ton of matching salary, but that could be a Duncan Robinson-involved deal theoretically and all that. For Oklahoma City, what they've done is pushed the pick back inevitably, but also I would say improved the expected value. And I'll explain the theory behind it from as I see it. Miami is a very good team right now. They they could very well finish with the best record in the Eastern Conference this year. It looks like they're going to be very strong next year. So before this transaction, the overwhelming possibility, probability, was that the pick Oklahoma City was going to get was, let's call it between 22 and 30 in the 23 draft. Not bad, but not amazing. Now, much more variance in terms of what Miami is in 2425 that's much later in Jimmy Butler's tenure in his career he'll still be under contract due to that extension maybe the heater in a different place And they only need to miss the playoffs once for it to become an unprotected pick, which is significantly more likely than the Heat missing it three times when we already knew they were going to be good. So Sam Presti basically shifted it back and got some variance. And I think that's a very good transaction for the Thunder.
0: I'll echo all all of that. And in addition, we can note, too, that the Thunder's picks are concentrated this year they're gonna have three this year presumably that miami pick would have gone i think we all anticipate them being in the playoffs next year as you noted so next year they would have had three now they're probably going to have two they've got their first their own first next year that also has swap rights with the clippers they've got the washington first that's lotto protected and then gradually declines in protection from the westbrook deal i'm gonna say the washington wizards are not trending towards making the playoffs the next year and then they also have a 2023 Denver first that's lotto protected that one you would think is going to go I see Denver being in the playoffs next year so now you take I mean they've gotten had so many picks these years they're already going to have three this year it makes sense just in terms of your roster to push that back and particularly because when you're getting good hopefully in 24 and 25 then having picks in the future you want to trade is probably more useful than just having guys who you've driven off the lot sitting uh, on your roster that you haven't had enough space to develop so that that's pretty useful and so now in 25 they might have three as well they've got a Philly first now they've got this Miami one and they'll they'll have their own. And that Philly pick is very lightly protected. But hey, push that back. Hey, you can, can push more of these back later. I think it's good just overall to push these back. And then they've got two more in 26, and then they don't have they're bereft of extra draft pick past 26. But but anyway, so yeah, I think both the temporal aspect and then, as you noted, the variance also very good. But I think as you know, this might be a win-win for the Heat to be able to move more picks early. That pick started in 23 you could have just done first available draft but the first you could have traded would have been 25 and teams might have balked at the, the idea that they weren't sure they'd be getting it in 25 so then you might have not actually been able to trade a pick until 2027 free and clear for sure so yeah i think that this could well benefit the heat allowing them to put together two first round picks align them to make a move at this deadline for a team that wants a pick now i don't see what that would be but they could do it but really i think this more opens the things up around the draft and also next year's trade deadline as well so I think this is kind of a win-win and then getting off of Akpala for the Heat that saves them some room now below the tax they have 2.1 million in room below the tax likely they are at 13 players a 14th will likely be taken by Caleb Barton who you forget is on a two-way because he's been playing the entire year he's been starting part of the year and he's been awesome for them but they'll probably elevate him maybe they even will have some interest in elevating Kyle Guy they could maybe do that more, the Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn style, like right at the end of the year, once they would be out of the woods in terms of the tax. And the, the Heat actually even, I think, have a little bit of their mid-level left if they wanted to pay Martin a little bit more. Or, of course, you know, they could go to a 15th roster spot as well at the end of the year. So this gives them breathing room below the tax. They're still hard-capped as well, obviously, but there's no reason to go into the tax when you are this close to getting out of it. And the Thunder, you know, whatever, they can take on Agpala. He'll be a great guy to help them tank potentially if they want to play him. Um, the only, one problem they may have is that if they want to make more moves, at least he wasn't aggregated and they took him into cap space anyway, so they can they could aggregate him together later if they wanted to. That's that's no problem. They might want a roster spot, but you can always they're probably gonna be taking on so much money in whatever trade it is if they want to send Akpala back. I mean that's the other thing too. Maybe if they were gonna send someone back, which they would have had to, it could be Akpala now when they didn't want have to send back any of the other guys that they had so uh yeah i think this is really a, a win win and you know it's consequential in terms of what the heat could potentially trade in the future could be consequential in terms of the pick that the thunder get although we've been betting against miami for probably too long on these unprotected picks that they send out that never actually end up being that good so yeah fascinating trade i i knew you would uh be very excited for this one
1: of course let's breeze through the news just so we can I, as we talked, as Nate and I talked about in the like before we started, if we don't get to it now, we probably never will because it's going to be consumed by the deadline tomorrow. James Harden has now missed four straight with left hamstring tightness. We will find out over the next two to three days whether how tight his hamstring is, but we'll keep an eye on that. It is not uncommon for players who are in trade rumors to have limited activity, and the there has been conflicting reporting on where all that's going to go we will have sufficient yeah, that, clarity that's
0: been fascinating could, could, should we talk about that a little bit that that Windhorst and Wojc seem to be potentially contradicting each other on this with Wojc basically saying no they're they are not in negotiations right now and Windhorst saying no like they definitely are talking and so I think my read on that is Woj carries water for his sources sometimes, and neither Sean Marks nor Daryl Morey wants it out there that they're negotiating. So Woj is kind of, I mean, I'm sure he knows something is going on. And he kind of went on his, these are all, have, all this discussion is happening on TV appearances rather than in tweets or articles, which is interesting. But Woj is basically saying enough to CYA if it does happen, but basically trying to create the impression that something isn't happening without really fully saying that as he'll, often do you know one of the oh they're not having active negotiate like that sort of verbiage whereas Windhorst is saying no like this is definitely being discussed and Brian is very convinced that Harden wants out as of now he cited the effort against the Kings when he had four points and hey that could be due to the hamstring there was a video that circulated of Harden's, Harden's desultory defensive effort against the Kings which I mean quite honestly I couldn't really differentiate that much from what you see from him on a normal game to game basis I didn't and watch that game offensively. Maybe that could have proved it more.
1: That's typically but I do think for Harden. Yeah. But
0: yeah, yeah, I, I do think Windy is not going to be. He's a pretty conservative reporter as well. Um, that, that'll be interesting. A, a lot of times, Woj is. He likes to run a tight ship over there at ESPN, so it'll be interesting to see what what ends up happening here because this has it has not escaped notice of a lot of people. But that's uh, that's going into the sports media realm where we probably don't really need to tread too much at the moment. Uh, but I certainly applaud Brian Windhorst for reporting what he believes to be accurate. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think like Brian is saying, he thinks it's more likely than not at this point that this deal gets done, and I don't really know what to think. I, I think the idea that you know it's not that. Common complicated of a trade I think it's just going to be a question of what's Philly going to be willing to give up here what is the line that Philly is going to say like uh, Tyrese Maxey is over that line they're not going to give up Maxey but whether it's Thibel whether it's other firsts who is the veteran that goes back to match the salaries because they have to throw in somebody on their roster but I think Thibel on his own would get him there to match the salaries is that right need to double check that yeah, that gets it there. I was 99% sure, but I just I would have been mortified if if I'd been mm-hmm. wrong there. So yeah. The question is, how much more is Philly going to be willing to throw in? Like, I think they should throw in a little bit more. Yes, there's all this stuff of like, oh, you know, they're, they're going to lose him in the anyway. And does he really want to be there and all that? But hey, guess what? Ben Simmons doesn't want to be there either. Yes, he's under contract for longer. Yes, you have less pressure to do something. But James Harden's just a better player than Ben Simmons. And so I think something along the lines of another couple of assets, whether it's Theibel, whether it's a first, something along those lines... I think that would be a fair trade, and I think that that should probably happen because uh, and people, okay, yeah, getting Ben Simmons like the Nets would be in better shape. Uh, last last time I checked, Kyrie Irving still can't play in half the games, so I don't I don't think the Nets are winning a championship this year. Now at least this sets them up to be more relevant next year, assuming either Irving resigns. Oh, by the way, remember he could be a free agent, or that the vaccine mandate is lifted, or Haha, he actually came to his senses and got a vaccine. What, what if he did that, Danny? Uh, so. In any event, I I don't know whether it's going to happen, but I think that's about as fair as I could make it. Do you feel similarly? Do you feel like Philly should give up more or less?
1: I think that's about right. I'm I'm lower on the fit of Harden with the Sixers than you are, but I think the overall value proposition there is pretty reasonable. Also, there could be a way to use this trade. It wouldn't be going to Philly. It would presumably be to a third team. Oklahoma City's the most logical to send to. You could theoretically add somebody a little bit bigger like Cork Maz, and then use it as a vessel to take off some of those veterans minimum guys.
0: Cork Maz might start for the Nets.
1: Exactly. Like so. (laughs) Uh,
0: too is if philly retains enough assets they clearly need more 3 and D type of players, but they have other matching salary available to do that this summer. I don't think they would have time to move Tobias Harris now, but particularly when Harris would only have two years left after this year and they could trade another pick into the future, like they could probably get off of Harris well enough to get some guys who would fit in better and then really go for it next year, assuming they're reselling her. And then there's of course, you know, is James Arden really going to cost $50 million a year? Would Philly get him? Him and then actually like negotiate with him a little bit harder than to just do that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, it might be forty million a year, but all right, that's enough on that. What else we got here?
1: Christoph Porzingis is still out with his bone bruise at his knee. That it's. I think Mark Stein said that their maps are getting more optimistic, but he's still not back. Jay Scrub, who is on a two way with the Clippers, he is having season ending surgery. He's had turf toe on his right foot, which is unfortunate yep.
0: for Scrub. He, he had a broken foot last year and missed most of the year. He was on a two way two way. And now he's had uh, injury issues uh, on both of those, unfortunately.
1: Maybe, but probably not along the hard front. Russell Westbrook did not play due to a lower back issue. Woj tweeted during the game after a lot of people were expressing skepticism that it was a genuine injury that he, or at least according to Woj, that Westbrook was dealing with this issue during the Lakers' previous loss but and played through it and then he did not and the lakers lost to the half blazers in portland 107 105 Mello is still out with this right hamstring strain and kendrick Nunn. now the new timeline on him is that it's he won't be back until at least march yikes
0: yeah, if he, in fact, is on the team, which I, the Lakers surely hope that he is not. But there's more, as the Lakers, this has been two just awful losses, and it's starting to feel somewhat similar to 2018 now with the Cavs, where LeBron kind of went into a funk for whole month, but he come back from this knee issue. He and AD got completely embarrassed by Giannis and Akupo last night, who had 44 points on 17 to 20 from the field. And now it wasn't all their fault, and like you know, they were running pin downs for Grayson Allen and whoever the guard was couldn't figure out how to deal with that, and so they had to step up and got Giannis a bunch of alley oops. That was part of it, but Giannis was also beating both of them one on one pretty badly. They got destroyed at home by the Bucks, and then obviously this loss again on the second end of a back to back win without Westbrook Westbrook wasn't in the game at the end this is now the third time he's been benched they made a comeback to get it back to like 10 without him but uh, it was futile in the end and LeBron got asked of like you know are you capable of playing with the Bucks? and he basically after the end of like a 10-minute interview session he's like no is that what you wanted me to say no we're not capable of playing with them and I think someone kind of bailed him out of that by then asking, you mean right now, right? And he was like, yes, yes, of course. I mean, right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, like the team, but basically the team as constituted. So uh, there was a viral incident where Russ is like, you know, trying to go comfort AD and LeBron. And he was he was asked about what he was doing with that. He's like, oh, you know, I, I was just you know, trying to like, show solidarity with them. And I, I wish I could have been out there to help him. But, you know, that's not my decision. And uh, Russ was asked if he's been told about any benchmarks that he needs to hit to be in the Closing lineup, i.e., actually playing some defense. And he's like, No, I haven't. And I don't think I should have to because, you know, I've earned that being in the closing lineup. And uh, oh, this was amazing, too. He's like, You know, the numbers don't lie. Like, oh, oh yeah. What numbers are you ta- you're talking about? Like, points and rebounds and assists? Are you talking about the fact that you're like shooting 20% from the field with five turnovers a game over the last few games? Like, what numbers are you talking about exactly? So he, he hasn't really shown any accountability at all, which, hey, big surprise. That's, it's not changed his game. He hasn't really tried to change his offensive game other than just standing off the ball and letting LeBron go to work you know, he hasn't involved involved in screening actions or anything like that so this clearly looks like it's at an absolute nadir headed for a disaster and you know who knows what's going to happen from here I mean are they maybe this back thing will is legitimate I don't see them being able to trade I mean would they do this trade for wall now Bill Orem and Jovan Buha wrote a piece about this and they said basically what the Lakers are hoping to do is now wait until the offseason then they can package 2027 20, and 2029 20, first round picks to get off of russell westbrook and hopefully actually bring in some someone who because nice
1: using the salary slot more like is you know we this has come up numerous times with expensive teams it's it's better than just trying to get off of it in in that set. so i understand i understand the theory behind it and if the rockets are asking for a first or let's say demanding a first for the westbrook for wall swap it's like well i mean how much better would they be with him so another story to keep an eye on thursday for the bucks george hill has now missed six straight with next Orness, but the bucks keep rolling along they have a, a big game on thursday against the phoenix suns and then encouraging Yeah, the, new-
0: the bucks have put up a buck 37 a buck 37 and a buck 31 in their last three games on this west road trip
1: and good news also for them that mike boonholzer was on a zoom call i guess presumably with the media and said that the team is continuing to hear positive news about brooke lopez and they're hopeful hopeful Is not the same as that timeline or anything that Lopez will be available to play in some regular season games. That would be wonderful. Um, he's missed, you know, basically the entire year. We also got some important clarity from Christian Clark on a big question that you and I had yesterday, which was okay, there's this pick going from New Orleans to Portland in the CJ McCollum deal. And it is lottery protected. So what the hell happens if the Pelicans make the playoffs? And the answer is very good for the New Orleans Pelican uh if they make the playoffs
0: no i don't think that's good for the pelicans because then they got to give the pick that this year's pick to charlotte and they owe
1: another well i mean in terms of but then they but the pick oh here's here's the way Oh, i guess you'd say it's very bad for the blazers more so than it's good for the pels like because the pick that portland's getting in that case is milwaukee's 25 first which is top four protected but the bucks are going to be good then
0: yeah that that would be bad for the blazers yeah because because for the pels it's cuz they owe the non-lottery protected portion of that pick to Charlotte in the Devonte Graham trade that turns into 2 seconds if they don't make it if they Obviously, if they bump up into the top four, then they keep it this year, and that they would be happy with that outcome, uh, of course. But it, kind of the anticipation is that they're not going to make the playoffs; they'll be in the play and it'll be in his pick's going to be in the eight to twelve range or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the best that could have been hoped for. You know, if you were the Blazers, you probably would have rather just said, "Oh, yeah, it'd be great if this rolled over to next year and just was top four protected New Orleans own pick next year." But uh, apparently, the negotiation was to, for it to be that. Milwaukee pick in 2025. Instead, I probably would have rather had Milwaukee's 2027 first rounder top four protected if I could have gotten that one, but whatever. I mean, the vast likelihood here is that it does end up conveying to Portland this year nonetheless uh portland speaking of them there's talk that they're engaged in conversation with detroit on acquiring jeremy grant this doesn't seem very likely to me and they do have some some picks now that they could theoretically move but this seems like just kind of appeasing dame lillard more than that they might actually do it we'll see uh and then cody zeller Got waived to make room for the New Orleans trade. He's out for quite some time with this. I think it's a patellar fracture. He's had so many knee problems. That was a signing that we liked, but it was also a risky one because of his injury issues. And Zeller basically was unable to contribute at all this season.
1: Along the lines of physical injuries for former Portland centers. Larry Nance, he's been missing this time. We talked about the setback that he had after basically he's been missing games for a month. He is going to have surgery now on that right knee, sounding like it's a six-week timetable. That's not exactly, but roughly the remainder of the regular season. Or New Orleans hoping that you know that Nance could come back and I mean potentially even be a part of the plan and all that. But you know this is presumably acquiring Larry Nance is. It was either a cost, you know, and an, a cost of doing the deal or more accurately, I think Portland was trying to get off of it and New Orleans was interested in it for next year when he presumably and hopefully will be available.
0: Yeah, and this seems, yeah, that really is kind of more of a next year focused trade, which trading for a 30-year-old in that instance, not great. I mean, TJ is going to help them, obviously. Uh, Eric Pincus noted that they didn't even require physicals to finish the trade I guess they probably had a pretty decent ideal they would have obviously seen medical reports known that Nance probably needed to have surgery that is the knee that he tore his ACL in in college is right knee and he's had a, a lot of knee issues over the years but New Orleans also probably wanted to get CJ in as fast as possible so that they can uh, make sure that they give up the 12th pick instead of the ninth pick in this is interesting in uh, New York oh
1: yeah let's go there first
0: yeah where New York is down uh, by a ton was that in Denver or in utah i can't remember last night
1: i was in denver
0: so they're getting killed by the nuggets oh um well, the nuggets are just like totally on a run with Nikola Jokic and some guys uh, again and they brought rj barrett back into the game in a blowout uh and then he sprained his ankle with like 25 seconds left down 15 which I've always defended Tom Thibodeau for the Derrick Rose injury. That was in the last minute of a playoff game when they were up 10 or 12. There hadn't been a timeout, I don't think, right before that. And you're the leading team. It's a playoff game. This was trying to make a desperate comeback. To no purpose. You just have no chance of getting back into it. He had already, he played a ton of minutes. He played that 50 minutes in the the game that we talked about over the weekend. He had 42 minutes, I think, against Utah. And then he played this one back-to-back at altitude. And he sprained his ankle. We don't know how bad it's going to be. But, uh, yeah, this is, and, oh, yeah, and you mentioned that he's ruled out uh, in the notes here a day early for Thursday. This is uh, some pretty solid Thibodeauian crime and again this is this is another one that's got to drive you completely insane as a front office it drove the Bulls insane when Tom Thibodeau played Joakim Noah like into an overtime game on a knee that would eventually require surgery and in the last meaningless game the 2014 regular season before the playoffs when he was terrible and this is just another one of these crazy Tibbs things we talked about already how he didn't want Reddish and won't play Reddish so and just uh just keep an eye on it this, this well, type of mm-hmm. shit adds up a little bit the Knicks are kind of free-flying were they 24 and 31 now something
1: like that to, to put the full context here he came in And the score was 122-107 in favor of Denver with less than four minutes to go. But Jokic was at the line. It was 124-107, functionally speaking, when RJ Barrett came into the game. Is there a chance that a team can come back from a 14-point deficit on the road? Yes. Would I risk? Would I risk a player's health for it? Hell no. Yeah. Well, especially
0: if you've made you've made a little bit of a comeback, and usually coaches will just let those guys kind of play it out, unless it gets like really close at the end. You kind of reward the guys who got you back into it so
1: and if it's sure if it's you know if it's within a couple of possessions or something and you want to maximize chances but they were still incredibly low quentin grimes who has been apparently really productive in the G League? I'll take a look at those stats at some point soon. He's questionable. Well, well, he, I,
0: you're, well you're thinking of McBride. Grimes oh. obviously has been in the rotation. Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe I'm thinking of McBride. Away. Yeah, thinking Deuce. Um, yeah, but fine. Grimes is dealing with lefty soreness. He's questionable for their game Thursday against the Warriors. And in case the Knicks were feeling like too many cooks was an insufficient number of cooks. Garrison <laughs> Rosas. Now in the now in the picture.
0: Yeah, Mark Stein reported that he would be hired. He was he was seen with Nick's brass the last couple of days. Couple other small things. Suggs, Jalen Suggs in Orlando played just seven minutes in their win over the Blazers on Tuesday. He had a sore right Achilles tendon and departed. Campaign was supposed to be reevaluated February 7th. He's still out with his right wrist issue against the Sixers. Sacramento, who we'll talk about shortly, Terrence Davis looks like he's going to be almost certainly out for the year. Three months is the timeline for a right wrist ECU tendon injury. Moharkless didn't play against the Wolves with the right ankle sprain uh, he'd been playing pretty well before that and then Marvin Bagley has missed six straight uh, with his own left ankle sprain as well so Danny and I did record yesterday our reaction to the news that Bradley Beal is going to miss the rest of the season due to left wrist surgery we had some technical issues with the Twitter spaces recording that as a podcast but I can give you our thoughts on that here now so let's begin, though, Danny, with our reaction to the fact that Bradley Beal is going to have season-ending wrist surgery in the near future here.
1: Obviously disappointing to have one of the league's better players unavailable. But also, this throws so many things into a version of flux for the Washington Wizards. The, the parallels between Beal and Lillard just keep on continuing. And so the decision by Beal, it might not have been something that could have been done any other way to have season ending as as it has been described season ending wrist surgery is that theoretically like i've talked before about beal being able to choose his destination ahead of time you know that having bird rights on him could be beneficial and theoretically there could still be teams that would like his bird rights you know to do a trade with the wizards now should be indicate that he doesn't want to be there but instead to me this makes it significantly more likely that we head into june with beal having the ability to hit unrestricted free agency yeah it seems
0: like that's uh, The next time we're going to hear from Bradley Beal, it seemed like he tried to rehab this for the last 10 days or so, didn't really get it to a point that he wanted. He had another consultation today, and the decision was made to have the surgery based on the fact that he just didn't feel like he was going to be able to play the way he wanted to honestly i think that this is probably a good thing for the wizards because now
1: because it pushes them in the direction they should have been going in the first place uh,
0: well i don't know about that i mean i think they they were a team that had some reasonable designs on making the play in or maybe the playoffs at the start of the year that has waned after that 10 and 3 start oh sorry
1: it's clarification the first place meaning right now not meaning oh beginning of the season like okay yeah
0: yeah so so i guess that's true because it doesn't look like even if Beal were to come back that they would have really been able to get up to the 10th seed certainly not into the one of the top two play-in seeds which would have given them a decent chance of, of making the playoffs and as we've noted there is some value in being the ones to kind of pack it in first. I don't know that the Wiz will totally do that. Also, worth noting that they also have kind of a bunch of good players right now and guys like Kuzma, KCP, Harrell. I mean, maybe the most immediate consequences that it would make more sense to move some of those players for potential help, although. I'm not sure if any of those guys, maybe Kuzma, would get you a, a first-round pick at this point in time. Kuzma has shown some things this year, though, so maybe they want to just hold on to him. He's got another year left on his contract. But so the Wiz, you know, hopefully, will get a, a relatively high draft pick, maybe get a chance to get up higher than they've been drafting recently with getting those two number nine picks, Abdia and Hachimura, and then, of course, Kispert last year at 15. So I think that he, Beal, now, maybe there's a thought of like, oh, hey, like we got to look better for Beal without him because then he'll want to stay here more if we prove we can do something without him that a, I don't think it's possible. They've been just getting their ass kicked lately anyway. And B, I think would be kind of foolish. I don't know that Bradley Beal is going to make his decision to stay or not based on how the team plays without him the rest of this year. But this, of course, as you alluded to, leads to now much drama on his unrestricted free agency because presumably no team is going to want to trade for him now given that he can't contribute to a potential playoff run.
1: Right. So the typical reason that you see players, you know, get moved now instead of in the offseason is that the trade partner gets not only that next season but they also get the playoffs for the year before and season ending can mean a couple of different things and we don't know exactly what the context is here i haven't seen anyone you know with the kind of the injury background say it's a you know it's a nine week recovery or it's a 16 or whatever but yeah it's all like, yeah
0: it's also his left wrist too so that's yes. maybe he so could like, have well, come back a little earlier but who, yeah it doesn't seem exactly but so like everyone's saying season ending.
1: everyone's saying season ending and so you know a team like philadelphia let's say like the idea that, well, we're not getting anything with Ben Simmons' salary slot so we could try to trade him for Bradley Beal. And now you're not really getting anything from Bradley Beale's salary slot during this period either. There are other teams with other motivations, to be sure. But that is, it is a reminder there. And the Wiz, you brought up the idea of like, you know, being pulling back early. And it's a little bit different for the Wizards at 24 and 29 as it is for the Blazers. We talked about this on the the, the Rapid Pod that we did on the CJ on the CJ trade. But yeah, there's the, still- the
0: hour and a half long rapid pot.
1: Yes. Rapid <laughs> yeah. in terms of our reaction, not rapid in terms of our discourse. But the uh but there still are teams, you know, the Pelicans and Kings most notably, in that 20-something wins at this moment that are really trying. And so getting better lottery odds, whether you jump up like the Raptors did or you don't, that could that can still help for the Wiz. And I wonder how this informs also Tommy Shepard for it changes the lens almost entirely to me to how do you see this player for next season for 22-23? So you brought up Kuzma. Like I think they expect Kuzma to be a part of that situation do if Bradley Beal comes back do they want Spencer Dinwiddie because now if you trade Spencer Dinwiddie which you could do in the offseason of course but if you trade him now then maybe you're setting the table you could change the things with your pick so I think you're looking at those two windows that's different for somebody like Montrezl Harrell who if you wait to the second window he's an unrestricted phrase and he's probably gone but I think you're evaluating Dinwiddie and Kuzma and theoretically Hachimura and Avdia and some of those guys though I don't think they're trading those the younger guys you're looking at it not as much about what are they doing right now, as much as how do they fit in next year. And that could be a useful framing for them. Yeah, and they'll get a chance now
0: to see more from Abdi. I Maybe mean, we'll finally get to see some of him with the ball. We'll get to see Rui trying to score more as well. You know, maybe we'll see KCP or Kuzma or Harold take an early seed if they don't get moved necessarily. This is also actually interesting. Beal was not having a good season. He'd come on a little bit lately, but that pushed his three point percentage just over 30%. His free throw drawing was way down as well but I think there was some risk actually For both him and the Wizards, frankly, the Wizards for his trade value or Beal for his eventual contract. That if he'd played the rest of the season at the level that he played so far, that he maybe his value would have gone down either in trade or in terms of someone wanting to give that five-year max contract or four-year, whatever the case might have been. So this, I think, we haven't seen enough bad from Beal this year that this what he's done so far this season is going to really negatively affect his value. I think maybe an entire season at that level, might have, but I think it's easier to kind of slough off his 30% 30% from three is just an aberration and treat him as the player that people viewed him to be coming into this season. Now
1: it's an interesting idea, hmm.
0: but regardless, I guess we're going to get now almost certainly you would think to the off season and Beal can opt in and extend. He can get a full five year deal as well. He could just sign elsewhere as an unrestricted free agent or an assign in trade, or he could go the old opt in and trade route, which would require ample tampering, but so what? so, there are many options here it doesn't seem like given the way Beale has expressed his desire to remain in Washington that going out like this with an injury and just never playing again in Washington like doesn't seem to track with that feeling too well but who knows what could happen I mean so much could change over the course of, of the playoffs and the Philly Harden situation is one where maybe then it would be Beal instead or other free agent suitors could potentially emerge other trade suitors could emerge so I don't think this changes things too much as far as the off season. what do you think
1: my instinct is that it doesn't but I don't know what Bradley Beal, I've, I've been confounded by Bradley Beal's thought process this entire time so I don't know if I'm gonna get a better read on it right now so So let's get to Sacramento. I thought the most interesting of the games that you and I watched was the nightcap where DeMontis Sabonis made his Kings debut. Sacramento ended up pulling out the win, 132-119. It was very close until about three minutes left, and the Kings put on the afterburners. and there are tactical reasons why, and we will get into those over the course of it, but especially considering this was his first game with the team, wasn't even sure that Sabonis was going to be available, this served as an example of how having DeMontis Sabonis' passing ability, putting it in his hands, everything else, can make an offense work. And full credit to Sabonis, to Gentry, and Sabon- and the full Kings team. This looked a lot more fluid than I expected game one.
0: Yeah, and this is part of why I like the sport of basketball. Honestly, like in in the NFL, there's no way a guy could show up, the trade gets cleared two hours before, and then play and look like this, right? And but baseball, there isn't really much teamwork. It's pretty much an individual sport, uh, other than you know some of the defensive aspects. But this is the perfect mix to me of teamwork, but also being able to improvise and not having it be just station to station the way that football is and Demontis Simonis went out there he's a really smart basketball player and he just played basketball and they ran a lot of stuff through him but you know a- a- It's actually, I think, a lot easier now to join a new team, at least offensively, than it was in past years when it was a set play every time down. Now there's much more transition. There's much more just kind of actions. A lot of teams just run the same stuff and you make reads out of it. And then you just play basketball. And DeMontis Sabonis is very good at that. And this was, as you alluded to, a great matchup for him in his first game because Minnesota has gone to this more attacking defense. They forced uh, basically the most turnovers in the league. Carl Anthony Towns is out on the floor in pick and roll and DeMontis Sabonis does a great job of slipping out early knowing when to time that the guards did a nice job of finding him with pretty sweet bounce passes Fox was pretty good on that and then Sabonis in a four on three was extremely effective he had a lot of plays that looked really good setting up threes on the weak side he had this one beautiful no look where he looked off the guy who was trying to guard two on the weak side and faked him out of his shorts into the corner and set up Barnes for a three and there are just a ton of plays like that. He was able to go down the lane and attack and also was able to hit the offensive glass with the defense running around. Just uh, really, this is uh, Demonte Sabonis uh, at his best uh, on the offensive end in this game.
1: Sacramento took 41 shots in the restricted area. They were 30 of 41 overall. They also, and sometimes you go, oh, well, maybe they took a bunch of, but they didn't get to the free throw line. Nope, 27 free throws, though some of those were on technical fouls. I'm sure we'll get there at least in some form on this game. And... It was also finding players, you know, there was the the Kings offense, the ball was moving better, but also the off ball movement was better. Players were cutting in and it's, you know, it's it creates different real estate for teams to use. And I was impressed with how that worked for Sacramento. And also the offense could have looked even better had I, I it was at one point the newcomers other than Savonis just couldn't make a shot to save their lives. Justin holiday started. He was zero for six from three, two of 11 overall and lamb ended up for, yeah, he had
0: four turnovers too. And he actually had a ton of miscommunication. Yes. I'm sorry. He had five turnovers and he had a ton of miscommunications where he Either threw it away, or guys were trying to find him on the move, and and he just wasn't where they expected him to be. Like he looked like playing his first game for a new team, and and that was pretty ugly.
1: It was, and Lamb missed a bunch of shots early, but then he ended up four of eleven, yeah. hit a couple threes. The
0: Lamb closed. Uh, he did uh, rather than holiday because holiday was so off missing all sixes threes
1: shem metu got a bunch of dunks in the early going and other you know players getting things around the basket so you you had a favorable ecosystem but full credit to sabonis and the kings for maximizing that i thought one of the other storylines of the game was there were these moments of just pure brilliance from carl anthony towns he had some of the like the the passing sizzle reel for him yes d'angelo russell had ten assists and Towns had eight, but he had, he had one that was kind of like between him and his own man to Edwards. He had a just a righty fastball to the corner, had a couple of beautiful seeing eye passes as well. He and
0: had one, my favorite one actually was late in the clock, he's just got the ball at the top of the key, starts like putting his man in the mix. I think it was Sabonis. And at, he crosses over, might even be gone between his legs, and then sends it to his left hand and then goes behind his back, left-handed to set up a Russell three right as the shot clock expired. That was awesome
1: towns also plus four in a game well the final score was more kings heavy than the competitive portion of the game plus four in a game his team lost by 13
0: yeah at one point he was plus 15 and they were down three but uh no they de- the wolves definitely earned this loss in oh the fourth yes quarter, to be sure as we'll get to
1: absolutely and there was a just kind of for part of the story of the early game there was a, a stretch where Nas reed had he came out and nathan knight was in and because the towns was in some scheduled rest they wanted to go with night instead of instead of like bringing towns back or anything else and they got blitzed in that though part of the reason they got blitzed was because of one of the storylines of this game originally it was mostly at the wolves detriment though that was not true of the whole this was a notably poorly officiated game and the first one of those which led to the Timberwolves broadcast getting very aggressive was metu I like to refer to it as a yeti block because that's what it was in NBA Street but basically just like grabbing the ball out of the air and it was on the- the way down maybe they were trying to argue it was had no chance of going in i thought it was a pretty yeah. bad goal tent. i
0: th- I thought that it didn't but yeah it, it's normally that'd be called a goal
1: and so the wolves were going ballistic and they the refs in this case they had a lot of experience on how to call technical fouls in this game they waited to call the tech until after the kings got a three in transition off of that non-goaltend call then there was oh yeah
0: that they did a great job the one thing they did is like they kind of waited to call the tech until advantage because you'll see sometimes the guy let's say a guy on one end goes in, gets fought on a layup, misses it, you know, air punches at the ref or something, and, and he'll call it and stop the fast break. Twice in this game, they at least let the fast break play out before calling the technical, which you know, they, they also deserve to get yelled at on both of those calls.
1: Right, and then the next, I mean, there were plenty of other ones, but the next one that stood out to me, it was just one of those, like, how does this miss happen? Was they called Well, Vault. how did the
0: three misses happen? Are you talking about the Fox one?
1: I know the Fox one is last. The next one was the oh, bonus now. Nat- Oh, was, was Sabonis Reed? Demontis Sabonis is standing unambiguously out of bounds and knocks the ball out of Reed's hands. Reed is standing inbounds, and then they rule that it's off of the Wolves. If you're standing out of bounds and you hit the ball, it is out of bounds off you. And explain they, how they completely missed that. And then the one that that you were wanted to talk about at the end, which was a no call. This one to the King's detriment.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it was three no calls actually. Yeah, because that's, a, a, that's a more times,
1: fair way of putting it. O- over
0: sure. like a three-second period.
1: Yeah, Town towns was i mean you you can explain it better than i can
0: it, it's very rare uh, yeah i mean towns was just riding fox the whole way down the floor and then he also i think he like hit him in the head as going up for the layup that was uh that was the, another one that i called the tech on fox after he went crazy it's very rare that i will rag on specific referees but tyler ford to me he is the king of the technically correct call that i hate where it's like yeah they, this is not a basketball play the guy is clearly fooling you just don't call it but he always calls it like whenever i'm like oh, oh come on really you called that and i look over and it's uh it's number 39 um so I, I, there are a lot of people who think he, he's one of the worst uh, referees generally i would it, it takes a lot for me to be to go on a specific referee but i i, I feel enough now that i am i'm ready to not be happy uh, with him uh, overall and I, I don't think it particularly favored one team or the other it was just a poorly refereed game so a few other things to note here i mean the starters for the kings they started metu at the four sabonis at the five so we wonder would they maybe play whole and Sabonis together no they didn't do that at all Sabonis played pretty much exclusively at the five they did have some moments where Metu was guarding Carl Anthony Towns Towns. Only took three shots in the first half, but as you mentioned, he was getting a lot of assists. Uh, and they played Barnes at the three. Holiday started at the two. I was hoping, and I think, that they should ultimately start Davion Mitchell. Mitchell did play 34 minutes, and he was awesome again in this game, by the way, with 18 points, seven assists, three of six from three, and also had seven rebounds. He's, he's starting to play pretty well offensively. It's been impressive. He also uh, turned off the water on D'Angelo Russell after Russell started the third quarter with 13 points. In five minutes so i would prefer that they just started mitchell but i think they also just wanted to start a normal three would they consider starting holiday at the three and barnes at the four like their best units when they really look good in this game was when they were playing with barnes at the four i think metu is someone who can hit some threes and definitely deserves a place in their rotation uh, damian jones who had been playing well he only got four minutes in this one so i wonder if uh and we'll see you know holmes did play he I think he'd been inactive for personal reasons yesterday, but he did play in this one, only played twelve minutes.
1: Well, and that's another weird part of this game is yeah. that these two teams played two days in a row at the same place. But with
0: Was that 20... was that because there there must have been a COVID cancellation? I
1: would guess so. Making... I don't know that for sure. Also, we should note that um Patrick Beverly missed this one due to the right ankle sprain. So
0: the, that they missed one Patrick Beverly quite a bit, I would say.
1: Absolutely. So, and
0: so they can... started they started McDaniels rather than Beverly. They played McDaniels at the three which he, he when he has started, it's usually been at the four, but now they start Vanderbilt. But uh, And McDaniels actually was three of six from three. I thought he was aggressive enough from three. he wasn't bad. But Vanderbilt and McDaniels on the floor at the same time, that really, I thought, strangled the Wolves' offense quite a bit. I agreed. Uh, he didn't really feel Anthony Edwards in this one. He played 38 minutes. He took 25 shots. Nine of them were threes. But he had a couple of nice drives, some transition plays, but one assist, one rebound, only got to the foul line four times despite taking 25 shots. It wasn't one of his best games.
1: Well, there, there and... were some interesting post-game comments, though. Um, John, Krasinski, oh, yeah? John Krasinski had this, that base, uh, uh, Edwards was saying he's he feeling like himself again. And he was t- saying that tonight was the first time he's felt good in a month and a half. So we don't know the specifics of it, but... I mean, if he's been dealing with something for that long, that affects the way we think about what he's done.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's been playing particularly poorly. Like, they've they've been good. Um, Yeah, so Jared Vanderbilt plays some defense. He also is useful because he provides some secondary room protection when towns is further out on the floor not against what the kings were doing this time and in fact they actually changed up their pick and roll coverage in the second half to have towns and more of a drop and you know i thought fox did a pretty good job of of attacking that but vanderbilt he does nothing offensively other than just stand in the dunker spot like that is it and that just it makes it tough and when you have maybe beverly is a little bit better a shooter than mcdaniels like they also they just missed having that good perimeter defense on Fox, who's looked rejuvenated these last two games uh, in the absence of Albert, at least on the offense, not, not so much defensively. but uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. Minnesota, they got very little from their bench. They, they got smacked. At the start of the second quarter, when the Kings had Fox and Mitchell out there and they came back with Sabonis relatively early. Finch had an all-bench unit out there that got totally destroyed. Minnesota was actually up eight at the start of the or at the start of the second, and then Sacramento put up 42 on him in the second quarter, fueled by that nice run. And Finch then went back to Carlton Towns. He kept Russell on the floor at the start of the fourth, which worked a little bit better to keep the things from getting out of hands with out of hand with Towns off the floor. What else we got? on this one
1: that's about all i had
0: let me scour my notepad here Harrison Barnes was 10 of 10 at the foul line a night after being 12 of 12 30 points 8 of 11 from the field 4 of 5 from 3 I mean one of the most efficient games of the season basically I mean this is 30 points on 16 shooting possessions for Harrison Barnes and uh, also had three assists he's just again this revelation the only other guy I can remember who just all of a sudden started getting to the line later in his career was Damari Carroll who actually had on the pod during the bubble and he talked about how he really tried to draw more foul Files. that was back when you could draw more of these field contact and throw something up and get a foul fouls but barnes i mean he's getting legitimate contact getting inside pump faking just we did a whole analysis of that but again it was quite palpable of just how good he is at getting to the foul line you mentioned the king's 40 or uh, 24 out of 27 the king's mostly had Demontis sabonis in a drop coverage i don't know how well that's going to work edwards got down to on him a couple of times it's not as concerning against d'angelo russell sabonis did struggle to contain towns and cover the ground but you know they were they didn't make this move for defense clearly i think they're going to be a better team now than they were with Haliburton. sabonis is a better player than Halliburton right now uh the kings actually trailed it by one and then went on a game deciding 10 0 run between four and two minutes left in the fourth. The Wolves' effort during that period was pretty pathetic. There was one.
1: Yeah.
0: There was one Davion Mitchell run out where he was in the corner next to Edwards. I mean, Davion Mitchell's pretty fast. Anthony Edwards is a foreign football player. He's also probably pretty fast. Like if he sprinted, he could have kept up with him. Mitchell outruns him. And then Russell is the guy who, in theory, is supposed to get back. He's standing at the top of the key. Somehow, Davion Mitchell, out. he covered probably. The entire court, when D'Angelo Russell covered about a quarter of the court trying to get back and got a a run-out dunk that led to a a Finch timeout, They, they got beat on the offensive glass by Sabonis during that period as well so i i enjoyed this kings game i it's quite a bit i think they're gonna play a nicer brand of basketball again they were set up uh, pretty well in this matchup to do that one other thing i noted too this isn't necessarily that related to each of these teams but there's a play where the kings ran kind of a a transition semi-transition pick and roll on the left side of the floor with davion mitchell he gets middle and they ran it kind of before everyone was in position so holmes was in the game he's actually at the opposite elbow when this pick and roll takes place and the conventional wisdom is hey if you, you got a guy who can't shoot he's not involved in the pick and roll or the drive or the action put him in the dunker spot put him on the opposite side of the floor along the baseline and I've always thought what well, maybe teams should experiment with just having their big on the opposite elbow and you might think well wait a minute can't you just help off of him pretty easily with your big and clog up the lane well I mean if you the lane is pretty big like if you stand pretty further away the, the other guy is not gonna be able to stand right in the middle of the, of the floor you know he, he still has to get out to Touch and cleanse but the bigger thing is if you drive and someone's standing at the elbow when the help comes you just have a much better passing angle to that player. And you can drive all the way in and then you can kind of leave it back, which is what they did. Holmes got a huge dunk. Or if the help comes early, the guy can slip behind that help to get an alley-oop. It's just hard to get the ball, especially if you have an elite rim protector back there. It's hard to get the ball to that guy in the dunker spot. And usually once you do and the guy tries to go up for the dunk, if it's not an alley-oop, the defender, you know, a Gobert or a Draymond or whatever can recover to contest that guy. But I think if you you're just in a much better situation to get that guy the ball and then also if he's on the opposite elbow he could be involved in other action as well he could be screening away for other guys to curl into the lane or pop out to the three-point line if you're standing in the dunker spot you really can't screen for anyone you can't really do anything so i i don't know for sure that this would work it might be that it would just clog up the spacing too much but i would like to see teams try more sets with their center at the opposite elbow. So, and then he can kind of play off and read the help when it occurs uh, rather than just standing down in the dunker spot. But that's all I got on that. Let's talk a little bit about Cleveland and
1: actually, can I talk very briefly about Bulls Hornets? I don't know. If oh yeah, Because yeah, you watched that. I, did. I didn't so, get a
0: chance to watch much of that. So yeah, what did you have on that one?
1: At the outset, there were a couple additional absences beyond all the other ones that we know for these two teams. Gordon Hayward is dealing with an ankle issue. I, we don't have a timeline there. And then also on the wing for the Hornets, Martin didn't play, and McDaniel's didn't play. They're both dealing. Uh, I think it's an Achilles issue for Martin, and then McDaniel's. I think it's a left ankle sprain. And then understand yeah,
0: we, we talked about that. He's been out yeah. for some time.
1: Yes. Now. And then Iota in a weird circumstance, suffered a concussion, then played the next day, hadn't had any symptoms, and then they noticed the symptoms, and now he's in the concussion protocol, so he was unable to play. And the Bulls are already, you know, dealing with a all- myriad absences. But what I- really impressed me about Chicago in their 121-109 win, two basic things. One, the ball movement was was very good, much better than the last couple times I've watched them, and Charlotte has many defensive limitations, but the ones that always stand out to me are it's, typically pretty easy to break the paint against them as long as you choose the right matchup and then being active off ball moving getting everything else there can be a lot of miscommunications and so the Bulls did a phenomenal job doing basic things to get themselves really good shots and so they did take 10 fewer threes than the Hornets but overwhelmingly they were very good looks they were 16 to 33 overall DeRozan hit three which was pretty striking um, two of them on back to back possessions which was pretty fun and you know LaMelo had his highlights he had 30 33 on 12 of 25 from the field also had a bunch of assists and the Hornets were they weren't terrible like especially not offensively yeah. but I, I thought but this note was noteworthy
0: that they lost by 12 and Lamella was plus six in 33 yeah, minutes Exactly so jumps out from the box score
1: yeah Smith negative 17 in 15 minutes though that was of course not all on his shoulders but I thought that the Bulls offense looked better than it had I thought that their big three were all available and and did a pretty good job and so yeah, that, w- that was really all I wanted. To- I wanted to share, but I thought it was it. An- I was. An- I wanted to see the big their their three guys play together, and I was excited to see because like the Hornets can give teams challenges kind of offensively and more more specifically defensively when the Hornets are on offense. And I thought the Bulls handled it pretty well. Yeah, so,
0: you know Vucevic's line really stands out. Eighteen points, eight assists. I'm guessing he yeah. was assisting on a lot of those back doors. that yeah. you were talking about, and nine of thirteen, but didn't take a three. So he was. I think it was really was he just mashing in the post and zero free throws either so uh, how is he getting his points
1: I think he had a couple in like semi transition and then it was taking it I, I'm try. I don't remember specifically I, I knew he played well but I, I I think there were a couple where like he just Plumley was too aggressive and they just fed the ball to Vooch and he got an easy dunk, like those sorts of plays
0: yeah I mean and DeRoz- DeRozan another ridiculous like oh, 36 yeah. points 13 and 19 did have five turnovers which he really does but yeah I mean this Bulls offense pretty good they've been winning with offense lately 124 offensive rating in this game let's get to Cleveland and San Antonio now though 105-92 Cleveland who controlled it pretty much right throughout they did not start karis lavert and said they started dean wade at the three he only played 16 minutes so lavert 28 minutes four of 11 Uh, Had two assists, but was plus eight, had 11 points. What did you make of his debut for Cleveland?
1: He made a couple of nice passes. His first assist was on a drive and then a, a pass out to the opposite corner, which I really liked, and a couple times where he clanged shots that you would hope that he maybe wouldn't take. But overall, I thought he fit better within the flow of the offense than I expected. And Levert, he's a limited defender, but something that he does, which at times is a good thing and at times is a bad thing is that he will be pretty aggressive and kind of help stuff. Like he'll meander away from his guy. Russell Westbrook does this too. And it drives me crazy with Russ as well, where he'll, He'll leave a he'll leave to kind of get in the middle of something that he doesn't really need to be in. But there were a couple times that I thought it worked out reasonably well for the Cavs. Um, so I thought he was, I thought he was distinctly fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he had a couple of closeouts that didn't look good. Like the cell blew right by him. at, oh, yeah. at one point. Uh, but yeah, you know, and and so he closed out the first half. I think maybe that we'll see whether he's going to end up starting or not, or whether they just you know they started Wade and Okoro You'd think that one of those guys he would replace. Depends what what happens with Markkanen as well when he comes back from this high ankle sprain. But I think, you know, he kind of, he gave him some creation on the second year. He played actually a fair amount with Rondo. So whether they stick with that pairing or not will be interesting. Also, uh, Jetty Osman had a pretty good game with, with eight points, gave him some shooting off the bench. Kevin Love had one of his worst games this season, although he was still in the plus. 3 of 13, missed all four of his threes, even missed three of his four free throw attempts, and I thought defensively he had some struggles. The Spurs offense was, you know, they just couldn't make a shot in this game, so he got away with a lot of it, but he had a couple of plays. He gave up an easy cut. At one point he blew a switch on a Spain pick and roll. It just wasn't the highest energy game uh, from Love, although obviously he's had a very good season. Darius Garland made his return
1: in oh, spectacular yeah, fashion. Oh yeah, I mean, he, he was getting getting to the paint creating shots for his teammates as has been such a big part of the cab's success this year he had six assists but also garland just just making shots in this one i mean he was pulling up he well had had a nice mid-range game only took three yeah. three pointers in the game but the mid-range no, i mean game he was, was just really-
0: hitting everything from mid-range He was 12 out of 15 and i think maybe only three of those were layups I think four. Um, he was he was out of sync a little bit with six turnovers. He just made a couple of uncharacteristic mistakes. But yeah, they had no answers for him. And he even, he had one play where he just absolutely broke the ankles of DeJounte Murray, who is not, I don't think DeJounte Murray, as he's taken on this big offensive role and become an all-star, which I, as I mentioned, I, I'm not that high on, on him being an all-star. But uh, he has slipped some defensively on a game-to-game, possession of possession basis. And that was, that was one play I thought Garland really got the better of him tonight. Um, Jakob Pertl continues to show off his rim protection skills. He. Totally stymied the Cavs at the beginning of the second quarter, where I think they tried three three or four layups on him in about a four-minute period, and he stopped all of them. Uh, ultimately, the, you know, his foul shooting is a, a little bit of a problem still, but he had two steals, three blocks in this. And the big problem was that the Spurs just couldn't hit a three. Keldon Johnson had, was three of five in the first half. Rest of team, 0 for 12.
1: And Keldon Johnson's were... second half, 0 for 4. He made he made two threes in like the first two, three minutes of the game, and it was interesting, because you have Keldon and Doug McDermott both starting and then the heat or sorry the Cavs are playing Dean Wade at the three and Mobley at the four you're kind of like oh Kelton Johnson makes these two corner threes this could be a challenge for the for the Cavs and then he makes one more three the rest of the game and McDermott goes oh for three from three the Spurs as a team eight for 33 from long distance and
0: yeah and the Cavs meanwhile were seven of 11 from three in the first half
1: right and I thought Keldon Johnson like his his best moments were were Really good, you know. Like he had a couple of really confident finishes, made those two corner threes, nearly going. But he might be one of the rare players who's you know wing sized, who is too confident finishing around the basket, where he's like, oh, that's fine, yeah. I can go through, I can go through this thicket. And you just against the Cavs, he can't. And so he did take. So so for Keldon Johnson, three of nine on threes, but four of. Four of twelve on twos.
0: Well, the Cavs obviously are a very difficult team to score against at the rim. You saw for sure in the in the first quarter. There was a sequence where first Jared Allen blocked Pirtle, who tried to sneak a layup a, a, around him, and then McDermott came off a curl, thought he was wide open, and Mobley just apparated from the other side of the lane and, and packed his shit off the backboard. And
1: um, basically, though, those were the only two credited blocks of the game for the Cavs.
0: Yeah, but they certainly they affected a billion of other shots. The Spurs at the rim. Oh yeah. And Mobley, a fair number of posts actually get to the foul line for seven attempts, where he's six of seven. They went to some post ups with him on Pirtle earlier. He had some decent success. He killed Christian Wood in a game recently, and against uh, skinnier guys, you aren't going to just push him off the spot. Pirtle is not a very good post defender anyway. I mean, he's a great helper and rim protector, but he doesn't really know under. Understand the dark arts of, of post defense will pick up a lot of fouls so mobley was able to get some pretty nice hook shots in the lane there but he's ultimately six out of 15 he's not that efficient yet still you'd like to see him be better and maybe playing center more full-time he would be uh jared allen has no problems with efficiency uh, whatsoever Zach Collins is back. He yes. played some in the G League and he played 18 minutes in this one. He was the primary yeah. backup center.
1: This was Zach Collins' second game. He played against the Rockets, his second game since August of 2020.
0: Yeah, and remember, even at that point he was coming back from an injury. He played a couple of games in the bubble and there was the ankle, but I think he had the shoulder at the beginning of the nineteen twenty season and was basically like out for the year, and except for the fact that he came back in the bubble. But uh, I mean, I didn't see a ton of pop from him. You know, he had, hit like a nice baseline jumper. He was 0 for 1 from 3. They don't really they're playing him at center, which I think they should do. I think he is a center, but I'd like to try see them expand a little bit uh on his range but that's not really something that the Spurs have ever had their centers do and you know, there are a few kind of aggressive hook shots that eh, it's not really his game he didn't really have the matchup it was a difficult you know 40% type of shot three offensive rebounds but i didn't notice him making the same type of plays in rim protection he had one decent block on uh, i think it was Kevin Love actually who was like barreling to the rim but i, I, I he showed a little bit more verticality a little more bounce off the floor hopefully that will come back for him at some point but you know he didn't it's only the second game back so i'm, I'm not going to judge him too much but he's got a ways to go i think I, mean, I think he's more likely to be kind of a backup center type remember he's got that 3.5 million of his 7 million guaranteed for next year so it seems like they'll probably keep him around it's, rather than waiving him to save 3.5 million as long as he can stay healthy and hopefully can continue to build here a little bit and there are a couple of other smaller notes Serena Winters, who has just recently joined the Cavs broadcast, leaving Philly, she is actually you know right behind JB Bickerstaff's huddle in the first quarter and had a great report saying they were going to try and bring their pick and roll defense closer to the level of the ball on DeJounte Murray. And they actually, that worked pretty well uh, as they held him to 18 points the next quarter. So that's just, that's amazing sideline reporting right there. Like that's exactly what I want from a sideline porter. So nice work by her. The Cavs crowd has been pretty good lately. It was another good one here. And then there was an interesting anomaly where there was a timeout or a, a stoppage, I should say, not a timeout, for subs with 333 left in the second quarter. There were no stoppages. Everyone was completely exhausted until a foul occurred with one second left in the half, leading to the under three timeout with one second left in the half, and then one second of basketball, and then halftime.
1: Yeah, that was remarkable. I um, also want to mention a lot of Spurs had challenging offensive nights, but Devin Vassell, 18 points, 8 to 16 off the bench. Got got to the basket a couple times, hit a couple threes. I thought he looked good.
0: Yeah, interesting. Also that Lonnie Walker, 11 minutes. Josh Primo, 22 minutes.
1: Mm-hmm. And San Antonio is probably seeing the ground move under their feet when it was the 10 seed was looking open. You know, like that. Their teams in that mix, and then two of the teams right in, right around there have upgraded pretty significantly. And so how does that how does that shift things? I don't think it's going to change what San Antonio does at the deadline, but their path to just kind of staying around and then getting in is a lot harder now than it was before
0: yeah there's speculation i think pop i can't remember whether it's like five or seven more games he needs to get the all-time wins record they're 20 and 35 right now that perhaps he they are not selling off pieces as aggressively because they want to make sure he gets that this year which i mean i would hope they would get that they also have been way worse than their point differential would have indicated so they would have to really sell off some pieces to not get him that record this year so I, i don't know how accurate that is but hey hopefully we will get some fun trades tomorrow i'm very interested to see what happens so we will talk to y'all then. And of course, if you are a total access subscriber, check your email, there's links to the discord. There's links to our salary sheets, which we updated today as well. Obviously with the trades, we'll be doing that again tomorrow. And of course, all the other benefits of total access that are listed on the website. Talk to y'all tomorrow. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh,